guys can turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to get there with you. And uh, before, as we get there, I'm just going to do a quick review. Back some four or five weeks ago, I preached on Hebrews chapter 7 and how we can know that we have assurance of salvation and that the world says it's pretty arrogant to say so. But according to Hebrews chapter 7, it says Jesus lives forever. He's got a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he's able to completely save those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. And then it says in Hebrews 10.10, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the blood of Jesus Christ once and for all. So we could confidently say as a church family that if your faith is in the death and resurrection of Jesus, you can have assurance of eternal life. Thank you. All right? So keep that in mind. A eternal security and complete assurance is based upon the finished work of Christ on the cross. So how do the tools of faith, hope, and love get us ready for the return of Jesus? A foundational truth that we're going to talk about a little later is that Jesus is coming back. And God has given us these three tools as a means by which preparing us for his return. So let's turn to Hebrews chapter 10. You guys can pick it up in verse 19, and let's read it starting there. It says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters... Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is, his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So if you have pens, and if you don't, there's actually pens in the back, there's back tables back there. If you have a pen, you guys can get your pen out. I'm just going to give it to you right up front. The first thing we're going to be talking about is that full assurance of faith is meant to draw us into a closer relationship with the Lord. You know, we often see, our, uh, we see the tool of our faith as a means to th- different things. One of them is this. We often use faith to cope with difficulties of life. And it does help us cope with difficulties of life, but it's not the main point. We often see faith as, God, I'm trusting you for something, to get something. And it can work that way, but not necessarily is the main point. We can often use our faith to bring some order from chaos in our minds, but it's not the main point. And I want to just draw your attention to up front in verse 22, that kind of sets the stage for our start, that it says this, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. So the purpose of our assurance of faith is to draw us near to God. That's actually the express purpose here. And the more we actually are assured in our faith, we move into a deeper, tighter, nearer trust friendship with our Maker. The more confident our faith of Him, the more sincere we are in our faith, the reality is a closer love relationship with Him. So I would say this, Anything that causes us to trust the Lord more is a gift. 
Think about your life for a moment, because you guys are, we're all coming from different angles. We all have different things we're dealing with. But if the assurance of our faith is meant to draw us into a deeper trust relationship, things that cause us a deeper, tr- deeper trust, cause us to lean on him more, they're a gift. So think about those hard things that you're facing and stop seeing them as the enemy, but a perhaps gift that draw you into a deeper love-trust relationship with the Lord. So as we look at the text today, the question I have is, where does our assurance come from? It obviously doesn't come from within, because we all look in the mirror and we all recognize that we don't stack up in ourselves. And we're going to pick it up in verse 19, and back up, where does our assurance to come before the throne of God? Verse 19 starts with, therefore... And just a basic note, whenever you see that word, just go back a few verses and see what, what is the writer talking about. Verse 17, he says, their sins and law, Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. So that he's saying is that where God pledges to not bring up our sin anymore, and where there have been forgiveness of sins, there is no need for another sacrifice. So the question I have is, where does our confidence to go boldly before the throne of grace? Have you ever noticed, that, have you ever heard somebody pray, and they've just got this real calm sense that God is listening to them when they pray? I know a lot of people talk about that when they, either before they come to faith in Jesus, or even after, and they just haven't really grown in that relationship. They talk about certain people in their life, when they hear them pray, they're like, wow. It just feels like there's this connection with God. The next three points, I want to give you three things from uh, verses 19, 20, and 21 that are supposed to build our confidence to come boldly before the throne of grace. Let's look at 19. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. So the blood of Jesus gives us confidence to talk and go before the Lord. It's not my blood, it's not your blood. It's the blood of Jesus. And Hebrews 9 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And what I got pondering this week in my office is this. There is one God. He put on flesh, lived a sinless life, and actually fulfilled the mission of dying on the cross and rising again, shedding his blood. And it's that blood is, by, is the means by which we come to God in confidence. So when I remember that blood is not my blood or your blood, but it's the precious blood of the Son of God, my confidence in the blood of Christ goes up. So the first confidence we have in just talking personally with God is the blood of Jesus. Verse 20 is the second confidence. By a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. So his body is a new and living way, new meaning it was previously not available to us. And our access is not the old sacrificial system. It's not coming to the table with our own good works. It's not a sacrificed animal that's now dead. It's actually Jesus shedding his blood and then coming back to life. And the curtain that opens the most holy place between us and God is the very body of Jesus, the living body. Of Jesus, And why does this matter? Which leads us to verse 21, the third confidence we have in the assurance of our faith. It says this, And since we have a great priest over the house of God. 
So in other words, Jesus died shedding his blood. He came back to life. His body's in the curtain. And because he's alive, he's actively high priest over God's, over heaven. So the idea is this. What do you think of when you think of Jesus and what he's doing? We often think of Jesus on the throne doing nothing. This text says that he is the priest over the house of God. The book of Hebrews is very clear that he is our intercessor. He is our advocate, our helper. He's the one who actually goes between us and the Father, the just Father, and he's actively interceding on our behalf when day to day we don't measure up. So the blood of Jesus, the living body of Jesus, and the active priesthood of Jesus should cause us to be confident to verse 22. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. So we're to draw near to heaven's throne in prayer, and we're to do that with sincerity of heart. Not just the actions, not just in repetition, but it's actually a heart that says, I sincerely want to connect with the God of the universe. And he uses the phrase with assurance of faith. Now, I don't know what it is about my five kids, but God has a way of using my five kids to break me down to the point where I'm not confident in a lot of things. Like, I literally find that there's just, they just have a way of reducing you, okay? So I wrote the things that I actually feel like I know for sure. Can I write? These are just, this would be like kind of like for my journal thoughts because I thought, Lord, what are things that I know for sure? Here it is. I know for sure the Bible is God's word. Okay? I know for sure that Jesus Christ is the only way to God the Father. I know that my sins are forgiven by faith in Jesus. I know that God created the world. I know that by faith in Jesus, I have the Holy Spirit inside me. And I know that Jesus is coming back. And on a slightly more personal note, I know I'm supposed to be married to that woman. She's not even over there. She moved. To my wife over here that was sitting over here. She took off a few minutes ago. But I know that on a slightly more personal note. And so our confidence and our assurance is meant to be not on ourselves, but on who God is and what he has done. So in short, again, a little bit of review. What's our confidence supposed to be based upon? The blood of Jesus, the body of Jesus, that's the curtain, and the fact that he's actively our high priest going between us and the Father. That's our assurance and that's what it's based upon. And look at verse 22 and what the result of it. It says, let's draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having a heart sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. This is a figurative expression that refers to the spiritual cleansing that Christ the Messiah made possible. And that when we trust in his death and resurrection... He actually sees us holistically cleansed by Christ himself. So, the first way of living by faith is drawing near an assurance of faith that Christ died and he rose again. So we're called to actively pursue and press into a close relationship with the Lord by faith. The second one, you guys can get your pen out, 
is hope in this life is built on God's faithfulness and not circumstances. You guys can write that in there. Hope in this life is built on God's faithfulness and not circumstances. Let's read it in verse 23. Let's hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. So we understand that hope is not built on circumstances. It's not built on enough money. It's not built on more family or a a stronger family. It's not built on significance. But it's built on the hope that we profess. He uses the phrase, let's hold on swervingly. And I'm sorry, Nate, for my son Nate for saying this, but I'm just going to say something and you all are going to smile. I have a teenage driver. Yeah. And uh, he's learning in our Suburban, and our Suburban's got like this much play in the wheel. It's an old Suburban, okay? And when he does course corrections, what do I do? There's a handrail here, and there's an armrest here, and I do this. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? You've had a teenage driver, and you're like, somehow you feel safer hanging on to the handrail? He's a good driver. But my point being, when I start to feel out of control, I start to feel a swerve, my, ne- my next step is to grab a hold of things. He says here, hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. In the original intended audience here, these are Jewish converts to Christianity, and they were facing some pretty difficult circumstances, a loss of hope, and there was some concern about letting go. In fact, Flip over to verse 32 to 35, and it tells us what was really going on in the book of Hebrews. It says, remember, the chapter 10, verse 32 to 35, remember those earlier days after you had received the light, meaning they came to faith in Jesus, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering, sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution, and other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully, check this out, this is anti-American by the way, joyfully accepted the confiscation of your personal property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possession. So do not throw away your confidence. You will be richly rewarded. So he says, do not throw away your confidence. Don't throw away your hope based on circumstances. But the believer's waiting will not be in vain. So it says in the text, let's hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. In case you're wondering what that hope is, I'm going to read it to you. Paul captured it in 1 Thessalonians. I want to read this, but the underlying verse 14, would you read that with me? Because this is the hope that we as born-again Christians profess. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Here we go. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. That's the hope that we profess. That by faith in Jesus, his death and resurrection... We believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in death. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, 
with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Encouraging? You've just been encouraged. That's the hope that we profess. And hope is that Jesus resurrected and all those who trust in him alone can know for sure that they will be resurrected with him. Hope is encouraging. It's not wishful thinking. In fact, if you've been walking with Christ long or maybe you come from an old Baptist background, maybe the hymn that says, My hope is built on nothing less than... I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but on Christ's solid rock I stand all. Repeat that one. All the ground is sinking sand. So hope, look, look what he says in verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Why? For he who promised is faithful. So when life is giving you the temptation to swerve and get off track, to lose hope, we're called to recall the faithfulness of God. You can do a quick word study in the scripture and look in the back of your Bible. You can find all sorts of scriptures about God's faithfulness. I want to give you a jump start. Your outline there has a list of scriptures there. And I want you guys actually to minister to each other this morning. So I'm going to ask if you all, individuals, will just shout out and just read out loud the verses that I have up here. I want you to listen to the faithfulness of God that's dripping off of Scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Somebody read that out loud. Absolutely. How about 2 Thessalonians there? How about 1 Corinthians 1? God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. 1 Corinthians 10? First John 1 John 1.9. Numbers 23. Lamentations 3. Great is your faithfulness. So when you feel that pull to start losing hope, you have to resist that pull and dive your head straight into Scripture and wash your mind with the truth of God's faithfulness. Folks, Scripture is dripping with God's faithfulness. This is a jump start. I want to challenge you 
to get into God's word and remind yourself, renew your mind of the faithfulness of God. Through the last 2,000 years since Christ ascended into heaven, believers have been encouraging themselves with these truths. And we've got great theologians, A.W. Tozer's, common theologian, but some of his writings about God's faithfulness are so encouraging. And I want to encourage you during your time this week to pick up the study on God's faithfulness. The hope we profess is rock solid and it's based upon the faithfulness of God and his promises. Because God is faithful, his promise of eternal life stands And hope in God's faithfulness can sustain us through every circumstance. You may not know this, but as pastors, we become very aware of the amount of hurt and brokenness that's in this room right now. Loss of job. God's faithfulness can sustain you. Divorce. Death of a loved one. Unresolved health conditions. Broken relationships. A child who's walked away from the Lord. Maybe failed investments. And for some friends of ours who were up at Fort Wilderness that uh, we met through the Fort Wilderness family, they experienced the burning down of their house. And I want to just this is actually a post that she had put on Facebook, and I just want to read it. It's about a page. But it's a, basically a journey they went on. They have almost a dozen people in their family living in their home. And she posted this. I've been thinking of all of you, and I want to take a moment to send you an update from our family. While we were approaching four weeks now since the fire and evacuation from our home, I note that it seems like so much longer. To start, I want to share that we've been blessed on many levels by countless amazing relatives, friends, community members, co-workers, and the church members. Being surrounded by such incredible support has helped us tremendously, and we want to thank each one of you for that. If I may, I would like to share some of our journey with you. Our family walked out of our home in the early morning hours of February 1st, 2013. Even now, as I recall, standing on the sidewalk in below zero temperatures, I imagined that the fire department would arrive, the then small fire would be extinguished, and we would be back in our home to finish our night's sleep. We were simply following our fire safety plan as posted in our kitchen cupboard. Meet on the sidewalk outside the neighbor's house. As I stood outside on the sidewalk, looking up in the darkness, I could see black smoke rising from the roof line. Within a short time, flames emerged and my heart sank. I knew things were getting more serious. Even though I could not feel the cold, I was concerned for our children standing outside, covered in their coats and pajamas, some with no shoes. Gathering our children into the van to keep warm, we began to pray. At 2.30 in the morning, Some of our neighbors generously invited us into their home, and as we sat in the warmth of their home, we felt helpless. Questions circled in our thoughts. Could we have done something different? Why was the dog not alerted? Why did the smoke detectors take so long to go off? Meanwhile, fire trucks from many fire departments began to arrive, and I did not let the younger children watch because I felt the flames leaping from the roof line against the dark sky. The emergency lights ever constant the, house is shooting hundred, uh, the hose is shooting hundreds of gallons of water, and the number of firefighters surrounding our home would have been overwhelming for their hearts and minds. Instead, we talked, and I answered unanswerable questions. We continued to pray and read the Bible together, and in particular, we read from Job. 
Naked I came from my mom's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. I was encouraged by the strength of our children displayed in those restless hours. In the other room, in front of the large glass window, my husband and three older children kept vigilance, ever conscious of the heroic, tireless efforts of the firefighters, the public worker, uh, works workers, and law enforcement officers battling to save our home. Regular updates from the fire chief and from the police chief helped me keep our questions and emotions in check. While we were homeless and helpless, we were not hopeless. God revealed hope to us through you. Somehow, church members and community members quickly discovered where we were and with ours arrived with heartfelt prayers, words of encouragement, food, clothing, and love. How we needed that. Words cannot har- can hardly describe the feelings of helplessness and at the same time, hopefulness and love. We truly thank you for that. You gave us strength when we could not muster any for ourselves. So I share that with you because there's something in our friends here, there's something that's deeply rooted that when life throws a curveball, their hope was in the Lord. You heard that phrase, we felt helpless but not hopeless. That's just the reality of life. And so the question I have for you is, do you know God's promises well enough that you can lean on them when life causes you to swerve? The time is now for you to dive into God's word and to know, not just know about, but to know and experience and believe and trust God's promises. Those things we can rely on when life starts to curve at us. So we see that we're called to uh, approach God's throne of grace with confidence, assurance of faith. We're called to hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. And then thirdly, we're going to see in our closing here is love, it's spurring each other on. We're going to see that in verses 24 and 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So he says, let's consider how we can spur one another on. And this idea of springing one another on in love is not some Valentine's willy-nilly, sappy, maybe romantic or even lust idea, but he uses the word spur. In fact, look at your, your Bible, and if you don't have any, uh, an NIV, you may have other translations that read uh, motivate, stir, stimulate, or provoke. There's nothing soft and gentle about provoke. So he says, and let us consider how we may provoke, nudge, grind the fist in somebody's side. He says, let's consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. So in other words, we should be always thinking about how to nudge, how to push, how to encourage, how to leverage situations around us towards love and good deeds. Whatever platform God has given you, if you're actively living out your love for the Lord, we should be using whatever platform to promote love and good deeds. Guaranteed, that's what it's called to do. 
And then he says, we could do this in two ways. You guys can look at it. He says this, spur one another towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. A follower of Christ is not to live in isolation, but as part of a community. And giving up meeting together is the opposite of loving others. I'm going to say, if you come a couple times a year, you've probably not come to realize this. But do you realize that coming to church is not primarily about you? Do you realize that God has you here, part of the body of Christ, so that you can love one another? So you got out of bed this morning, and you're hearing God's word, and God has a plan for you to love somebody either here, or he's equipping you today to go out and love somebody out there. So... When we call, we're called to not give up meeting together, we're called to actually be in community. And when we stop getting together, we're at a real danger point in our life. I kind of see church attendance like a new car. So if you've bought a new car, the newness wears off after you fork out the first payment. In the same way, if you've been newer to a church family and it's just about you, in short order, the newness wears off. And you just kind of come and go when you want. But when you understand what Christ has done for you, the call as believers is not to actually make it about you, but we're called to make a social obligation, a genuine concern for other people. So being born again is part of the body of Christ, and we're actually called to actually not give up meeting together. In fact, John Wesley said it this way, the Bible knows nothing of a solitary Christian. That's what he says. That's pretty short order right there, right? The Bible knows nothing of a solitary Christian. And he says, not only are you to uh, continue to be together, but then he tells us to do something. He says this, as some in habit are doing, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. The word encourage here is to exhort or plead with. But you have to be in community in order to encourage each other. And the picture that's here it says all the more or as each day passes, you should be growing a tighter community as believers in Jesus. So if you've been around here long enough and you still refer to Open Door as your church or that church, that's a bad sign. Because this is our church, this is our family, and we are the family of God under the headship of Jesus Christ. So he says, we should be encouraging more, all the more as the day approaches, knowing good and well that the people in, in Hebrews here were experiencing conflict, suffering, public insult, the taking away of their property, and under the umbrella of all this crud that was going on, he says, hey, by the way, you should get together. And in the middle of the, t- the difficult things, you should be encouraging one another. He's acknowledging the fact that in normal Christian life has discouragement. So don't be surprised if your faith is in Jesus and you have a discouraging time going on in your life. What's interesting is this. He says that in the middle of discouragement, we're called to not give up meeting together and to encourage each other. What is the first thing people do when they're struggling in their faith? They quit coming to church. 
And I have talked with people who could come to the church, and the very first thing they say, they say is, well, it's not really the church. I just, I was struggling with, and I'm like, do you realize the church is for people who are struggling? That's what it's for. That's why we're here together. Don't ever believe for a minute that everybody, like, look around for a minute. This is not everybody's got their act together so we come to church. That the whole point is that we actually encourage one another and we build each other up. Facebook Live, if you're listening on Facebook Live right now, I'm honored. There are some people that are listening on the Facebook. It's not the same as the living human body of Christ. There's something spiritually magical about the one another's getting together and encouraging each other. So as we meet, we are called and we will see that we get more confident in our faith. If you're struggling with your confidence, get in community. Connect with an adult Bible fellowship. Get into a small group. Join one of the Bible studies. I want to encourage you with that because you will become more confident and your confidence will ramp up as the day approaches. So what motivates you? For me, I got thinking about growing up, what motivates me? There were two things that motivated me as a child. Spankings and sweets. And my parents wisely used each of those at key moments to create action. Spankings and sweets. One's very pleasant, one's very, well, it's not pleasant. And, uh, but they both motivate and the writer of Hebrews actually says it. He says, we would encourage each other all the more as you see the day approaching. In other words, there needs to be this ramp going up as our, our encouragement level is going to go up as we keep the day, of, of his day, the day approaching in mind. First question is, what is that day? We're going to see that. Look at the end of chapter 9, verse uh, 28. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of, the, of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So what's the day here? Yeah, the return of Christ, when he brings salvation to those who are waiting for him. And I want you to ponder this, and I'm going to close here in a minute. If we're waiting for his return, and if we're pressing in in our assurance of faith based upon the blood of Christ, his living body, and his priesthood. If we're holding unswervingly to the hope that we profess, which is that he, when we die, he died and rose again, and he'll bring, with us, bring us with Jesus when we die. When we hold unswervingly, and then we're pressing in, in love, spurring one another in love, we can actually, it's like sweets, we can actually be motivated about the return of Jesus in a really warm, comfortable, calm way, saying, come Lord Jesus. It's exciting. And that there's a smile in our face when we talk about the return of Jesus. And like I said, it's like the sweets that motivates us towards faith, hope, and love. When I talk about the return of Jesus, and if it causes a stirring in your stomach, maybe an uneasiness, there's a reason why. Maybe you don't have an assurance of faith. Maybe your hope is not in the death or resurrection of Jesus. If you're trusting in good works, you should have no confidence about the day of Jesus' return. 
It will be a scary time. But I encourage you today, today to make today about this. Do you believe that Jesus died and he rose again for your sins? If you will trust that he died and he rose again, his blood, his body, and his priesthood guarantees assurance of salvation. You can know for sure by faith in Christ, you can know for sure and have assurance of faith. Maybe perhaps your faith is in Christ, but you're not holding unswervingly to the hope that you profess. Friends, don't ever grow tired of learning new things about God. Don't ever, if somebody says, what is God teaching you? Don't be caught with a blank stare about God's not teaching me anything. Until the day your heart stops, we should be pressing in, holding unswervingly to the hope that we profess. Your faith can get shaky when you lose sight of the faithful promises of God. So maybe perhaps God has you here today to challenge you to get back into God's word, become biblically literate, and let God's truth that shows us his faithfulness and allows us to be able to hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. And then lastly, if the return of Christ makes you uneasy, maybe you've become complacent and a consumer. And the thought of going to church is, do I feel like it? This passage says, let's not give up meeting together, guys. Let's not. And while we do that, let's encourage each other. Let's motivate each other. Let's remind each other of God's love. So, faith, hope, and love. It is not some wedding thought idea that you put away on the shelf. It's meant to motivate us towards trusting the Lord more fully, fixing our eyes on him in hope, and loving the body of Christ. So Nathan's probably dying. Nathan, you may kiss your bride. Where is she at? She's not around here? Oh, man. I was going to take this opportunity to tell him he may kiss his bride now. But I want to encourage you with that. Faith, hope, and love. Are they growing in your life? And if those three things are going, you can say, come Lord Jesus. And there can be a joy in your heart, a sweet motivation. And that, when I think about it, if our church family is moving in that posture. We can be a church that's walking in obedience. We can have a confidence about the return of Christ together as a family. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much uh, for your word. We recognize that apart from your truth, we'd be swimming out in the ocean. And uh, your truth anchors us to you and anchors us to your reality, which is truth. Lord, thank you for uh, not just your word being a, an encouragement to our hearts, but Lord, it anchors us, and I thank you that it gives us the ability to know how to live and respond to you. Lord, help us to be a church family that presses forward in faith, assurance of our faith, based upon your son, Jesus Christ. Help us to be a church that holds unswervingly to the hope we profess, that by the death and resurrection of Jesus, we know that when we die, we'll be brought back to life with your son, Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you would stir in our hearts as we finish with the Discipleship Center, as we seek to be an obedient church, help us to not neglect the gathering together. Lord, because in that day, 
We don't want you to catch us complacent, but fervent in our love for each other, for your body. We're thankful. We are joy-filled coming from you. And help us to continually use those gifts of faith, hope, and love so that we're ready for your return. In Jesus' name we pray.